And if your heart stops beating, I'll be here wondering to get what you deserve. The ending of your life, and if you get to heaven, I'll be here waiting, baby, to get what you deserve. The ending of your life won't wait, and your heart can't take this. Have you heard the news that you're dead? No one ever had much nice to say. I think they never liked you anyway. Oh, take me from the hospital bed. Wouldn't it be grand? Ain't exactly what you planned. And wouldn't it be great if we weren't dead? Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey, everybody. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief comicbookherald.com. Just got warmed up with a little My Chemical Romance before I went live here. Just warming up the pipes, checking levels, all that good stuff for the MCR heads. Of course, you won't have heard that because I was doing it before I went live, just testing everything. Maybe one of these days I'll sing some MCR live on the air. Um, you ever you ever try to sing and it, you, you're, a note's coming? And in your head, you're like, I don't know about this. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh boy, this, this could get rough. And then you go for it and you kind of get there and you surprise yourself. That's, that's what happened in the warm-ups. It's too bad y'all weren't there. Uh, but I think we're ready. I think we're warmed up. I think we can do this. It's Comic Book Hero Live. We're going to talk about some X-Men comics that came out today. Dead X-Men. Tie-in to Fall of the House of X and Powers. Rise of the Powers of the Fall of the... Uh, X's. Now we're going to talk about Dead X-Men today by Steve Fox. We'll talk a little bit about Wolverine, Sabretooth War. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on in comics, um, what's going on in in the world <laughs> at large. No, we're not going to do that. Getting your questions about comics, getting your thoughts on, on the art form. Anything you want to address today, we can talk about. Um, I do have a little special for y'all. Once we talk this week's comics, since it's slightly a down week and the end of the month, I want to share my favorite graphic novels of January 2024. Put together a list of my favorite graphic novels of January 2024. I feel that there is a lot of negativity um, in the world today, yes, but in comics especially, right? And especially if you are in the YouTube comic scene in any capacity, obviously it is just drowning in, in rage bait and hate, as I have discussed previously. So what I am going to try to do every month, because it's fun for me, and because I think it actually has some value, hopefully, that you'll all find, is just share my favorite graphic novels of the month. It allows me to sort of catalog, hey, what was released that I think is awesome, to focus on the positive, to focus on, um, you know, just the best of the best, what's out there in the world. Because the reality is, as much kicking and screaming as there is about corporate IP and decision-making and blah, blah, blah. And listen, I'm guilty of this in my own way, certainly. Um, but there are so many good comics, and it is a miracle that any good comics are made. <laughs> like, it's it's such a miracle, given the financial uh, lack of incentives, given the, the problems of the industry, uh, and yet... And yet, all these talented people keep making all these fantastic books. So we are going to celebrate that a little bit um, today with some picks for January. And then I've even got a list of 
like 15 graphic novels that I'm super excited about in February. Like it's a, it's a nice looking fab. Um, so, you know, and I think, you know, part of this weekly conversation, we talk single issues a lot of times because that's sort of the, you know, how, how comics and, and how the big two in particular get you calibrated to think. Um, it is the least sensible way to discuss story. <laughs> it is the, the least sensible way to evaluate art. It is, of course, in and of itself, its own art form, the single issue of comic. But so rarely are these things actually built to be single issue conversations. Um, and it's kind of fun to talk about on a weekly basis with those of you who love comics as well. Uh, but, you know, I think focusing in on like trades and graphic novels and things that are actually full-size chunks is going to be better conversation so get in your thoughts get in your questions um i'm seeing from jordan here wow surprise surprise gerard way appearance is he here in the chat today gerard has a standing invite if he wants to join in the chat that's i will not i will will not take the time to skype him in uh but if he wants to join in the chat i think i think we could all probably deal with that Uh, I, i can accept that um any other thoughts? Any other questions? Let's see. Jordan says, Comics YouTube has made me genuinely insane. Yeah, it, it definitely, it's definitely not a great place to be. <laughs> not super healthy. Uh, there's good stuff out there, right? I always say this, right? Owen Likes Comics does a nice job. Um, uh, Blurred Without Fear. Obviously, I love Ernie. Um, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I think I think even, even like... Um, like comics explain, like Rob, I, you know, I think there's stuff, opinions I disagree with, but that's normal. That's normal stuff. I, I don't know that he's, um, I don't know where he's at right now in his own sort of creative <laughs> engagement. Like when you're the king, right? Things change. Uh, but he seems to have a healthy respect for the medium. I don't really question that that guy dicks comics, right? So I'm not, I'm not talking about that area of comics, YouTube even, although I'm sure there are criticisms and all sorts of things you could apply. I'm talking just the grifters and the rage bait and just there's so much of it. Um, I get these things from YouTube because I have a channel apparently. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, you know, with our algorithm, you know, here's how our algorithm works. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't favor any opinion over the other. You know, it's all just what the people want. (laughs) It's like, yeah, but if you keep serving the people the same rage, anger, culture war BS, over and over, and that's all they think there is, those views go up, it's cyclical, it feeds on itself, it Ouroboruses itself right in the tail, as they say here in Chicago. Anyway, not the point. Chris Cuevas says, Strange Brain Parts is great. I, my co-host on My Mother's Year, Zach Dean, sent me a video they did not too long ago. I think if I was committed, if I was still committed to producing good comics criticism on comic book herald they would be a person i would reach out to and say do you want to connect do you want to collaborate i liked what i saw from strange brain parts that seems like a good one to check that out uh nobody except me says ryan guy the other old white guy with glasses and beard that is not narrowing it down ryan (laughs) That, that is not in any way helping us determine which YouTuber we're talking about? Old white guy with glasses and beard. Sorry, <laughs> that's all of us. <laughs> Good grief. That We need more specificity. All right. Should we do it? Listen, I know it'd be fun to just go off on on all the little YouTubers that make us mad. <laughs> but what's the, that's what they do. That's what they do. We're not going to do that. We're going to actually talk about comics. Okay. What came out this week? Uh, actually... Yeah, right? I don't have anything up front. I don't have any broad, overarching topics. Actually, I have one overarching topic. And 
it's something I've been saying for a while now. Put all your chips, all of them, take them all, buy more if you need to, put all your chips on Marvel's Ultimate Universe. I am telling you, I am telling you, if you're not already there, if you're like, ooh, 616, maybe after June, I don't anticipate I'm going to talk about Marvel 616 with the exception, capital X, of like checking in on the X-Men relaunch. It's all Ultimate Universe from here on out, baby. It is all Ultimate Universe from here on out. All of my chips, all of my Marvel Comics hopes and dreams for 2024 are all on the Ultimate Universe. Obviously, we already have the Superstar Hickman Chiquetto Ultimate Spider-Man launch off to a great start. I watched the trailer today for Peach Momoko's Ultimate X-Men. Marvel Comics trailers are generally not much. They don't give you a heck of a lot of insight. This trailer is the best episode of Marvel TV I've watched since WandaVision concluded. Now I'll give Loki Season 1 a shout. Since 2021, since Loki Season 1 ended, it's the best episode of Marvel TV. This one minute and 20 second Ultimate X-Men trailer. Listen, people like to say you're not ready for blank. And usually it's something that everyone is very ready for. X-Men fans are not actually ready for Peach Momoko's Ultimate X-Men. <laughs> like, I I don't think people fully understand yet how flippin' weird this is going to be compared to what we have come to expect from X-Men comics. And I, I think it's going to be so... I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to feel so different. It's going to feel so unique. It's going to be something kind of new. And Big Two stuff, man, do they need something kind of new. It is amazing to look at where the Ultimate Universe is at right now versus where it was in the year 2000, where those books had a freshness to them that obviously led to some success. Um, but they are very indebted to, in many ways, the rules and, and sort of the way things are done within Marvel Comics, at least upon retrospect. Looking back, Oh, fight this knees, get emotional. <coughs> oh, baby. Peach Momoko's X-Men. It's not reverential at all. At all. She's out here like Chris who? Chris Claire who? And it's a genuine question. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's going to be exciting. X-Men fans are not ready for it. People are going to freak out when that book drops. We're going to talk more about the Ultimate Universe next week. I think Ultimate Black Panther number one comes out next week. I'm telling you, if Ultimate Black Panther brings the heat, if Brian Hill can say, Fallen Angels was not me. That was an imposter. That was an imposter, Brian Edward Hill. This is me. Here's Ultimate Black Panther. If that can bring the heat, and then you got Momoko's X-Men, and Dennis Camp on Ultimates, and Hickman Chiquetto still on Ultimate Spider-Man, I'm telling you, put your chips in now. Buy the futures. Buy the stock. I don't know how stock works. Buy it. Buy the futures. Okay? You're going to want to have had it. Is that grammatical in any way? No, but that's why I'm on YouTube. That's why I stopped writing. Okay? We don't have to worry about those things. Let's talk about comics. Here we go. Baku Blade says, no Immortal Thor coverage? Baku Blade. Baku Blade. Where were you last week? Where were you last week when that issue came out? Talked about it last week. You silly old bear. Let's see. Nobody except me says, all in on Hickman. Uh, I, I mean... As one of his biggest fans, 
<laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. I think that's fair. Um, but it's it's not just the Hickman part of it, though, you know? It's not just the Hickman part of the Ultimate Universe. It's the sense of at least attempted freshness with Peach Momoko, with Dennis Camp, with some sort of a, just a sense of like prestige books and strategic vision. It, the ultimate universe to me, and this, you know, Hickman gets credit for this. It already feels like the best strategic move they've made since House of X and Powers of Ten. I feel like we, it's already there with one issue out. Is it going to live up to that, right? That's obviously the ultimate challenge. Um, but, I, but I absolutely think it's it's strategically, like, it's the most excited I've been about a Marvel thing since House and Powers. That's where I'm at with the Ultimate Universe. And, I, I hey, I was hard on Ultimate Universe. I was. I don't think as a singular comic, as a singular, you know, story, it holds up especially well. But it definitely did set the foundation. It did. And upon reflection, I see that. And that was its job. You know, it's a, it's a classic 30 minute call that could have been an email kind of story, but it did do the job. All right. What else do we got? What else do we got in here? We got some thought on Enigma. Not really going to talk about that in too much detail today. That's Rise of the Powers of 10 stuff. Do, do, do. Chris Cueva says Fallen Angels is a modern classic. Chris, listen, I was joking with you before. The, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Not having a big enough channel means I am super susceptible to trolling. <laughs> because I don't expect it. Because the vast majority of you are incredibly nice. And, and just down to talk comics, being polite, being respectful to those around you. That's all I ask. And then you got these jokesters in here. You got these hucksters and these jokesters. Is a huckster the same thing as a jokester? Probably not. Oh, that one got me. Fallen Angels is a modern classic. Shake my head. Shake my old head. All right. JJ asks, how do you feel about gods now? Again, I'm going to have to direct you. Wasn't it last week? Didn't we have an, an issue of gods last week? Am I making that up? It was recent. I'm, I'm pretty not in on gods. That's a weird way to say that. I'm not in on gods. Um, JJ, I wish I liked it a lot more than I did. I don't think it has the juice. Uh, I It would have been better served as a singular graphic novel when it was all done. If it winds up going for a lengthier ongoing, um, maybe it can maybe it can become something. Right? I, I see the pieces. I see the seeds in place with Gods, the Hickman and Skeety book, where, you know, you I could see this being like, you know, at issue eight, it's like, oh, this is actually becoming something um, that I'm that I'm really excited about now. Whereas now I'm curious, but I'm not excited about the story. So I'm I'm down on that, I think. Uh, and I wish I wasn't. I, I, I definitely, I mean, it's surprising because it's like the way Hickman was talking about it, it was, you know, God's was the other house and powers. And I think the reality of the moment is the closest thing he's going to do to touching a house and powers moment. And it's not that, but the closest he's going to get 
at least in the near future, is Ultimate Spider-Man. That's the book that actually has the juice. So, all right. No, no I'm seeing some folks saying I'm actually uh, angry at, at Chris, who I'm joking with here. Uh, no, I, to get banned, first off, you'd have to teach me how to do it. And second off, you'd have to like actually be a jerk to someone else around you in a, uh, in a, a real disrespectful way. Okay, not not just a silly opinion. That is not ban worthy. All right, especially not teaching me how. All right, Xavier asks. Ooh, this is a good question. This tie. We'll start with Wolverine because this ties into something I want to talk about. Does Wolverine versus Sabretooth have enough blood to make it good yet? Okay, Wolverine Sabretooth wars going on. We got co-writing by Ben Percy and Victor Laval. Laval is bringing his Sabretooth series, uh, you know, kind of like into the pages of Wolverine in a classic Sabretooth whips the hell out of Wolverine, kills everyone around him. The tradition of, of, I mean, one of the greatest rivalries in Marvel comics, right? I mean, I think like if you're just looking at rivalries, if you're just looking at hero villain pairings, you know, like Reed Richards, Dr. Doom is kind of the ultimate template Spidey, you could throw with Norman, you could throw with Doc Ock, depending on the season. Um, Wolverine Sabretooth, I would say, in modern era, is probably the, it's probably the bloodiest. Nor Norman actually comes for Spidey in a similar way, almost under the radar. Like, obviously, Gwen's pretty famous. People forget that in the aftermath of the Clone Saga, Norman Osborn stole the Parker's baby and made MJ think she had a miscarriage. And then it was kind of retconned, kind of not. Norman's done some dirty deeds. Dirty deeds. Thunder cheap. You know Norman Osborn loves ACDC. Loves. And listen, I love ACDC too. Am I embarrassed to be singing along with Norman? Dirty deeds. Thunder cheap. A little bit. I am. But I'm 35 and a father. I don't have time to be embarrassed anymore. Okay. Um, what were we talking about? Sabretooth versus Wolverine. So this is a classic Sabretooth kills everyone Wolverine love story. First issue. Spoilers, by the way. Uh, uh, Victor leaves Akihiro, a.k.a. Ken, dead. Quentin Quire, dead. Number of others. Limbs sprawled out, spelling happy birthday. They're getting gory. And they're really promoting the goriness of it, the hyper-violence of it, as a selling point. As like, oh, this is the bloodiest, grossest Wolverine story. Which, listen, for Wolverine comics, it kind of makes sense. And I do, I do think this is something that Marvel, when it makes sense, can and should lean into, is like, they don't need a Marvel Max line. Like, Wolverine, Punisher... These books can be hyper-violent, okay? Um, if, listen, I know inevitably this leads to a mother in Kentucky with an 11-year-old looking at limbs spelling happy birthday and all of a sudden she's on Fox News. Like, that's where this goes. And that's why Marvel's scared. But the parent of the child reading Wolverine 
is the negligent one. <laughs> Not Marvel Comics. You know, my six-year-old likes Investigators and Dogman. I don't hand him copies of Floppy Wolverine. <laughs> you know, that's on you. That's on you. Gotta read that stuff, man. Uh, so, <laughs> so it can get violent. And I think with the Wolverine book, it's like, okay, that makes sense. I am skeptical. I am cynical of hyper violence being a massive selling point because I'm also seeing now, do, do y'all love how I just have a screenshot of a Marvel snap victory? Just straight Marvel snap bragging. Is that relevant to today's conversation? No, in no way, in no way. And yet I'm cycling it through in the images like every sixth image just because I was excited to get my little beta boy, beta Ray Bill, and win by a million points. <laughs> it's the little things. It's the little things. Anyway, Wolverine versus Sabretooth. It's getting nasty. How much of a selling point is that to you? I would imagine for a lot of folks, they like that. I saw with Blood Hunt, Marvel's like, we're doing red band versions. We're doing hyper mature versions, baby. We're going to make this one violent. And like, there's a part of me, like the first part of me is like, I don't care. I'd like to enjoy a good story. Um, you know, I think about like Invincible, right? And we're doing the Convincible series over on the My Marvel This Year spinoff. And it's like the hyper violence of Ryan Otley's art is not actually a huge selling point of Invincible to me. You know, it's a part of tone. It's a part of consistency. And yeah, there's a visual flourish to it, right? You can you can do things with intestines flying out of someone that you can't do when their body's contained. Like it adds a an element to the art, certainly. Um, but I don't know, that element alone, in comics specifically, right? Like in like John Wick, I'm like, yeah, do the coolest violent action stuff you can. Like that's this movie. That's this whole movie, you know? And in comics, I do kind of question. But then I think about like, I don't know, like a Trad Moore on Luther Strode. Um, what are some other good examples of just like insane? I mean, Steve Dillon on Preacher. Or any of his Punisher stuff pulled it off. Like who are who are the ultimate? Just did violence so well that it actually made the work infinitely better. Probably got like eight million two thousand ID AD artists on Dread stuff. You know, um, let's see. We got uh, Kenji says I appreciate it a lot. Xavier says it's a ninety selling point. I mean, I do think it is. Is it a little, is it too much of a callback to an aging audience? Because my fear with, like anything with Marvel Comics, my fear with it is they're like, oh yeah, we can do violence now and everybody loves lots of blood. And uh, and then it's like, okay, yeah, but y'all forgot to tell a narrative, you know? Um, I mean, yeah, even like a Frank Miller Daredevil. I mean, Miller pulls off violence very well. You know, before he unfortunately retired from comics in, in, what was it, 1992, and was never heard from again. Berserk, Chris Cueva. Chris, you redeemed yourself. Well done. Berserk, there's a comic. I mean, Miura's, I mean, just hyper-violence. There's, that is a book, I, I talk about it every now and again on here, right? Berserk, the manga, and I'm 14, 15, 16 volumes deep, somewhere in there. And I'm kind of, that's like one of my go-tos right now. If I'm like, if I'm like not feeling comics, 
then I'm like, oh, I'll read some Berserk. Either that or Slam Dunk. And then pull me right back in. Pull me right back in. But yeah, that that's a, I am so glad that I was not reading Berserk or that Berserk was not at its height during any sort of um, social media frenzy. <laughs> I am so glad that that book just got to be its little freak self and not have the the just flurry of savage online opinion that would have followed that book around. Chesney Goodson says, Chainsaw Man, yes, yes. Fujimoto does this incredibly well. The There's an energy to that action and violence that I have gone on here and said, that's what every Marvel editor should be chasing, is the energy of Chainsaw Man, right? Um, and it's it's a part of that book's rush. It's a part of what makes it feel exciting. And I, think, I just think there's such a distinction, and I'm not articulating it super well, but there's such a distinction between we did something gross and shocking and we told a story that someone couldn't put down because they were enraptured by the energy and, and the movement and the action. And yes, it was violent and gross on top of that, right? I mean, Junji Ito does, does horror and terror and just body grotesqueness in ways that are, that are scary and violent and, and gross. Um, and it, it almost is kind of the point a lot of times. Uh, but then it's like, well, okay, but you have a singular artist working on this. So, yeah, I don't know. Xavier says trying too hard is the word. Tyler says feels a little lowbrow. I mean, Wolverine is not a highbrow comic. Like, let's not kid ourselves, you know? Um, I know what you mean, but it's like, that is also Wolverine's lane, lowbrow. It is. So I, I guess I don't, I'm not especially bothered by that element. Um, I think in a Sabretooth versus Wolverine war, I'm not even saying it's a bad fit. I don't know that it is. It kind of makes sense. Uh, the one, probably the biggest, I don't know, concern, critique, uh, whatever the word is, the thing that holds me back with the Sabretooth war right now is I feel like it's stripping away a lot of the greatness that Laval brought to the Sabretooth miniseries. You know, it's a collaboration. I hope they're having a flipping blast together right in this thing. Um, it's all about the energy of Sabretooth coming for Wolverine's life, right? But it it's missing everything that made Sabretooth special, right? It's missing the thoughtfulness. It's missing the introspection. It's missing the education. It's missing Sabretooth sort of having a uniquely Krakoan experience, you know, um, which was exciting. It is very, I mean, listen, as concepts go, it is one of the biggest, dumbest, funnest Marvel Comics concepts in a minute, <laughs> right? It is. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's, it's Sabretooth having gone through the multiverse, collecting other Sabretooths and their hunted and captured Wolverines. It's got big Hickman, Council of Reeds energy, but Council of Creeds just realized that rhymed, you know, but that's exactly what's happening here. And now they're coming for Wolverine and uh, it's a lowbrow Wolverine comic. And that's, that's fine. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this. I, I do. 
I'm I'm gonna read it. You know, I might not read it every week, right? But I'm gonna check in and kind of see how it goes. It is it's a little hard. I think this error has made it kind of hard to care. And it was intentional, right? But it's it's made it kind of hard to care when a player is taken off the board. You know? Like Wolverine loses his son and like his surrogate son he never wanted. I guess he never wanted either of them, really. Harsh truth. Um in the first issue. And it it doesn't have an emotional fulcrum to it in the way that, I mean, Laura might, right? So like this issue ends today with the Sabretooths are coming, they're hunting Wolverines, um, they're coming for Laura Kinney, you know, chief among them. And we don't actually see her at the end of this, but Sabretooth left a gift for Wolverine on his birthday. I mean, I do think the Claremont tradition... There's a, there are elements of sexual assault in the tradition of Sabretooth that are deeply haunting and uncomfortable. And I think a lot of critics have, have spo- including David Bowen did a good job on Complic Herald, have spoken to the grossness of that um, with the character of Silver Fox in Wolverine. So I don't want to like make light of that, you know, because there, there's anytime you bring that in comics, you really, you need to do your homework. And I don't know that it was done there. Um, the the concept of Sabretooth just haunting Wolverine's birthdays, the fa- or what, if it even is his birthday, the fact that every time it comes up, there's this monster waiting for him, is really good at, at heightening the depths of this rivalry. You know? It does have a heck of a lot of potential. I was talking about top rivalries before, right? And... These are the stories you think about when you think about Wolverine and Sabretooth, who otherwise, if you actually have to, you know, push comes to shove and you're like, show me the greatest showdowns between heroes and villains. Not that many Sabretooth and Wolverine stories are going into that mix, you know? Um, And this one has, I guess, that potential. The fact that there's that gift and you're like, is it, you know, is it going to be Laura's ear? What's in the box? What's in the box? Right? doing that whole thing with Laura Kinney. I mean, but the fact that like, I don't know, we got resurrection, we got Wolverines, we got healing powers. It's like, who are we, are we actually taking anyone off the board? I know it's written during the fall of X when they're like, oh, we can't resurrect. But then at the same time, we got the white hot room. We know a bunch of mutants are coming back. I mean, I don't know. This is a comics problem in general. This isn't specific to this era, right? That's been the problem the whole time. Um, I don't know. I guess I just don't feel, it's also like this Wolverine run and Laval's Sabretooth runs weren't building to this emotionally. You know, Laval's Sabretooth wasn't about getting revenge against Wolverine. It was about getting revenge against the Council of Krakoa. It was a uniquely Krakoan story. This is just Marvel, as it's been for decades. And I feel like that's, that's a, a missing piece. So yeah, I'm not super high in it, but it, I mean, it does, it's, I mean, you gotta, you gotta check it out at least, right? All right, what are people saying? <sighs> Xavier says, hose, do you kill these regenerating wolverines? I suspect that was supposed to be how, <laughs> but let's hear it from the hose. How do you kill, I, I mean, listen, I think with Deken, it was just like he cut off his head in theory. Couldn't Wolverine just have put the pieces back together? I, whatever, man. 
I'll roll with it. But yeah, it is kind of nonsense. Very hard to kill a Wolverine. Uh, okay, Xavier, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. JJ asks, do you think the Sabretooth trilogy should be in your top Krakoa Age books to recommend to readers? Your 10 books list you did long ago. I guess no. Well, it, w- it was an honorable mention at the time in terms of essential nature. If I had just been doing top 10 favorite reads, I would have included the first five issues. And then you could throw in the second five, I think, just to continue the story. I mean, it no longer feels like a trilogy is part of what you're losing here. I don't think you can really call it a Sabretooth trilogy anymore or a triptyche, I think, is what Laval pitched it as. I mean, it is no longer Laval's thing, right? I mean, this feels like an absolutely an extension of Fury's, uh, Fury's Percy's X-Force and Wolverine, the runs that was, speaking of, hard to kill, right? Uh, but it does not feel like the third part of Laval's trilogy, and I don't think it's going to. So no, I, I don't think it gets there anymore. Mountain Lion says, I think the ending slowest burn Percy versus arc with this approach to the book feels very disjointed from the overall Krakoa era. Yeah, that's, that's been the story of, and this would be probably the element where I am most in, in Percy's corner with X-Force and Wolverine. All his stuff is just so disconnected from an otherwise very connected comics experience. But it's like, we're going through fall, we're going through rise. And then over here, there's a different story. It's not connected at all. Let's see. Nobody says the one thing to kill Wolverine would be the hose. You heard it from nobody, not me. All right. Let's talk about Dead X-Men. Dead X-Men, number one. It's a miniseries. It's a tie-in to the fall of the rise of the powers of 10. It's really good. (laughs) <laughs> it's really good. I've been waiting and hoping for the Steve Fox X-Men book that that totally clicked with me because I like Fox's work a lot. Um, I thought they did a great job on the House of X uh, animated series crossover mini. It was a really good time. Huge X-Men fan, very thoughtful, good storyteller. Also underrated, editor of some James Tynion work, including the Department of Truth which is flipping X-Men. Dead X-Men is really good. This is the tie-in to read. This is the only tie-in. You're going to have your three core books and then Dead X-Men. Right now, it feels like, yeah, like a vital tie-in. It is directly tied in to Rise of the Powers of Ten. And it it is, it's not just that it feels important. It's also just a really fun concept. It's a good premise. So you have Professor X enlist the aid, and we'll find out that it's not really him who chooses this, but enlist the aid of the mutants killed at the Hellfire Gala. So you remember this year's Fall of X Hellfire Gala, where the new X-Men team was announced and then promptly massacred by Nimrod? They're back here, Prodigy, Frenzy, Jubilee, Dazzler, Cannonball, a team assembled by Rachel Summers. Rachel Summers is confirmed as one of our secret individuals within No Place X. Rachel Summers has put together this team. Their mission, their mission, if they choose to accept it, is to find a pre, is to find the memories of the of lifelines of wheezing evil Moira. So they are traveling through Moira engine timelines 
as created by Sinister's Moira engines, meaning they are basically the Exiles. They are basically the Exiles traveling through what-if possible futures of Moira engine timelines. Fantastic premise, good cast, good story. Dead X-Men is going to be worth your time. It's definitely good. Uh, It does also summarize how I feel about Moira better than anything in this entire era, which is to show an old evil robot Moira with literally the dialogue wheeze. (laughs) That, if anything, summarizes where I'm at with the decision-making on evil robot Moira. You know, it is nice to see, oftentimes in fandom, there might be groupthink or consensus that moves away from the way I feel about a thing. And listen, I felt a little ahead of the curve, ahead of my time, declaring how awful evil robot Moira is. You know, some very vocal defenders. It is nice for history to prove you right. It is nice to sit on the right side of history as everyone comes to accept that decision and execution sucked. (laughs) It's just nice. It's a good time. I'm on the right side of that line, and there is no doubt. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have many dead X-Men thoughts beyond that, other than if you're skipping it because you're like, oh, it sounds weird and inessential, it actually feels pretty important. And not only that, it's a great concept. Um, Worth your time. If you're a fan, especially if you're a fan of Rise of Powers, which is, you know, alongside Resurrection Magneto, like those are the books to stay invested in right now. So I think it's going to be worth it. JJ says, so if Rachel Summers is confirmed, I assume Captain Britain is the other mystery character. Uh, It's a good guess, but actually I don't know that she would be because Professor X says in a data page, uh, I thought you'd pick Betsy for the team. And Rachel's like, no, I would not send her on these deadly missions. That's insane. <laughs> She's safe in Britain. So they at least indicate that she is not um, in thing. Uh, Kenji points out X-Men Forever is for sure going to be essential. You're right. I'm, I'm including X-Men Forever in my brain as just part of Rise of Powers because Kieran Gillen's also writing it. But I guess technically it is a separate time. So yeah, I mean, X-Men Forever is going to be going to be must read as well. I don't know that those start until like March. Actually, I don't know that I've seen those in the solicits. I mean, we got a minute here on X-Books before things pick up again. Because the next issue arise isn't, it's not next week and it's not the following. I think maybe it's February 21st would be my guess. Um, And uh, that's a while. <laughs> that's a bit of a wait. So listen, X-Men fans. I mean, next, here's the good news. Next week, we got Ultimate Black Panther number one. That's going to be interesting. That's important. I hope that book does well. Um, and then, you know, I'll pull up the, the calendar here. JJ says, skip cable, grab dead X-Men. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Lewis asks, asks excitedly, are we doing taxes today? You know, I kind of thought about it, actually. So, I, you know, I'm going to try to do this... Uh, this thing where I go through my favorite comics of January, 2024. Right. And in order, I kind of thought like, well, maybe as I do that, 
maybe as I do that, I will also rank them live, which is what is what we refer to around here as taxes, where I go through my Excel spreadsheet and I actually rank all of the comics. The biggest problem that I have with that is uh, I do not know how <laughs> to make that happen um, with, with all of the screens involved in a production like that. Listen, I'm a simple man. I'm a simple man. So these books will be getting ranked. I think probably we'll, we'll do taxes on a separate occasion or maybe in February when I share my faves of February. Um, we could also do a ranking. I'll just have to prepare ahead of time to try to set that puppy up. So no, no taxes today to my knowledge. I'm sorry to disappoint. I really am. But I do have good recommendations if I can figure out how to get them in front of you. All right, we're going to try something. We're going to try something live, and we're going to try something a little bit crazy. Now, I had this set up, but then my thing froze. So let's try this. We're going to get rid of my beautiful face. We're going to get rid of that. We're going to pull that puppy up, and let's see. What do you all see right now? Nope, that's not what we want. Okay, so now we gotta we got to find the right PowerPoint, right? This should be fun. Actually, this might be just as good as taxes because what I'm doing now is I'm trying to live figure out how to show y'all. Nope, that's not the one. <laughs> this hat, you telling me this isn't better than taxes? That's got to be it. There it is. We did it. We did it. All right. Let's talk through the best comics of January 2024. Uh, before we do that, obviously you can see the first one up here. Before we do that, let's go through some questions. Cousin Marcus says, Jerry Duggan is going to find you and accost you for your criticism. What criticism? <laughs> I didn't. I, I haven't said that man's name this entire episode. How dare you? Uh, is he accosting people now for criticism? I'm in trouble if that happens. That makes me a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> Air Harlem asks, did we know Mora had terminal cancer before she became a terrible evil robot? Uh, we may have. We may have. It's possible. Does not change my opinion. Banksy, how do we feel about a robo Moira being able to traverse timelines now as well with her quote-unquote weapon? Yeah, it, interesting, right? Dead X-Men's good. Moira's got this crazy axe made out of adamantium and mysterium and Omega Red cable stuff. Listen, if you're gonna do the most boring version of this character, which is evil robot Moira, lean into it at least. <laughs> lean into the nonsense. Lean into the insanity of Marvel Comics. That's what we got with the multiverse hopping adamantium axe swinging Moira. I think that's better. That's an improvement. Mountain Lion says, any Super Bowl predictions? Chiefs by six. Taylor, new album the next day. Travis caught cheating eight months from now. No, that's too far. Eight weeks. Those are my predictions. For the Super Bowl. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. Chiefs Niners. 
That's a great matchup. I felt a little bad for the Lions, but they're also in our division, so not that bad. Um, and yeah, I, I'm actually a big Mahomes fan, so I'm kind of always rooting for the Chiefs. When when you have a team that you can't actually get into rooting for, it's very easy to sort of adopt like like a, a temporary favorite, and that has been the Mahomes Chiefs for me. Although I've come to understand via Instagram comments on SportsCenter that apparently all of America hates the Chiefs. Don't understand that. Very likable crew, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. I guess just success breeds contempt, which, boy, is that true of my life. <laughs> All right. We got other questions here? Kendi says, any Avengers Twilight thoughts? Oh, we did do it. We had Avengers Inc. today. Uh, pour one out for Avengers Inc. If I was a drinking man, I would pour out my drink right now for sure. Uh, Al Ewing got five issues to do. A wacky, wild, Pym family Ultron drama. There is no sensible reason this book could not have sustained Janet Van Dyne solving crimes for like 20 issues. It sucks that it didn't get to. Um, it would have been easier to swallow if Al Ewing like, just phoned it in. He didn't, of course. It's solid. Avengers Twilight I have not touched yet. I want you all in the chat to tell me how... How eagerly should I be reading Avengers Twilight? Let's see. JJ says, if not Captain Britain is secret member, how about Kobe White? Dude is balling this year and only hope. Kobe can do anything. Kobe can do no wrong. The biggest problem with putting Kobe White on Professor X's crew is then Professor X's crew would succeed. And we all know Professor X is the worst at plans and it's going to go totally the wrong way. Mountain Lions asks, any chances to bring Blurred for a special Krakoa-era ending review? I would say pretty decent chances. Pretty, pretty decent chances. Alfonso says, if you say Duggan's name three times, he'll appear. All right, I think we're at two. Does it have to be successive or just like in general? How does that work? Kenji asks, who is Taylor? Is that a Bears player? That's a good bit. Good gag. Nobody says Chiefs. All right. Let's do this. Best comics of January 2024. Tell me if you can't see the screen. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, it's there. Gene Nguyen Yang. Leun Pham. Lunar New Year Love Story. This is one of my favorite reads. Probably my favorite right now of January 2020. For. It is like just like a perfect teen rom-com. And that's not even like my drop my genre necessarily, you know? Um, but it's just kind of why I love Yang stuff. I think he's fantastic. American Born Chinese was badly adapted onto Disney Plus, but that is one of my favorite comics of all time. Boxers and Saints is amazing. Dragon Hoops is one of my favorite books of the last four years. I think that came out in 2020. That's an awesome work. If you haven't read Jin Lu Yang's solo stuff, he does, he has done like some DC. Oh, you know what? Superman versus the clown was pretty awesome too. Um, that's probably his best superhero work. That's with Guri Hero, I think. Uh, but uh, he did a Superman run, which, you know, isn't as good of a fit. But man, his, his solo work is just lights out. One of the best working Comics writers, comics writers, comic storytellers. 
Uh, Leon Pham here does amazing, amazing artwork. If you like the full spectrum of what comics have to offer, this graphic novel is, this is absolutely an evergreen, like going to be on best comics for teens, best comics to read for lists for quite some time. Um, and it's just, it's just like, it's so tight. Lane Pham does some really cool things artistically here as well. Um, especially with like, they, there's this thing called lion dancing that I was totally unfamiliar with, uh, where, you know, two people go in a lion <laughs> costume and dance, but this is artistically expressed in just these incredibly, incredibly fascinating ways. It's very tactile. There, I had a real sense reading this where I was like, and it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, AI doesn't have the sense yet to, you know, leave white space on the page to show that like a human hand didn't color this in. Just like a real vision, a real energy to it, like I was talking about. Um, everything just looks handmade, but in the best ways, I think. And then there's these twists of like, you know, it's this teenage rom-com, but then there's also like these gothic, almost horror supernatural elements with these saints. You get the actual Saint Valentine of Valentine's Day fame in the book. It, listen, if you're a sucker for a good rom-com, for a little little story of sweethearts, you gotta read this one. This one this one is gonna be on like every best of list you read this year, no question about it. The grandma and group of grannies in this book are some of the funniest characters I've read in a comic story in quite some time. Quite some time. Let's see, Violet here says in the comments, I grew up in a Chinese family, so forgot people don't know about lion dancing. <laughs> yeah, I had I had never heard of it. Uh, definitely a cultural blind spot. They're, they talk about the differences between, uh, uh, I think, Vietnamese lion dancing and, like, Korean lion dancing, and it's it's a it, it really interesting cultural element. I mean, for this group of, of teens, it's, like, kind of like their, you know, it's like their after-school sport, you know, essentially. Um, but they, they do talk about sort of the cultural history of all that, and I, I love that in comics, right? I, I love being able to learn just kind of, like, the different elements of things that I have not experienced or seen before. Um, and this book definitely pulls that off. But I mean, more than anything, it's just, it's sweet, it's funny, it's heartfelt, and it's just like, it's its one of those things where you're holding your hand and it's like, it's a miracle that two individuals can make a book this tight. Like that they're that good at making comics. This, like this, you could immediately adapt this as a movie and it would be very popular. So we got Lunar New Year Love Story. That's pick number one. Number two. This one didn't just come out, but I think there's a hardcover that got re-released, so I wanted to mention it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Ujimbo, Where When? I collected this one in, in single issues as it was coming out. I collect every Stance Kai Usagi book that comes out from IDW these days. Stance Kai is just so consistent. Like, I, I don't know that there's any word that better describes the Usagi Ujimbo experience than consistency. It is remarkable how good Sakai has been for decades upon decades. It is not the first time that Usagi and the Turtles have crossed over. That's been happening for a long time as well. In this story, the Turtles go back to feudal Japan, Usagi's time, and deal with the time-traveling villain. Classic Turtles-Usagi stuff. It does raise the idea that there were samurai rabbits and, and rhinos who existed among other, like, like mole ninjas in the past of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who now live among humans. 
Is the book addressing that in any way or meant to? No. <laughs> but it is unquestionably a thing that it made me think about. I just love watching Stan Sky do Usagi stories. I love the artwork in this. Um, and I'm a sucker for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What can I say? Like, like nothing beat a VHS combo like Turtles and 90s X-Men animated. You can't top that. You can't possibly top that. So this is just pure nostalgia, but in the hands of a cartooning master. Absolute cartooning master. Warren here says, I don't think I've ever read a bad Usagi story. I don't think there is one. I, the only like complaint I've ever had about Usagi is like you can kind of start to feel the same because of that level of consistency. You know, I, I have a hard time with, and there's a ton of it right now, so I have a hard time with like a massive binge of Usagi combos. Um, but I think if you read like one a month, you're in just amazing hands. Absolutely amazing hands. So highly recommend the Turtles and Usagi in Werewin. You can get some Kevin Eastman covers, some variant covers from Kevin Eastman, uh, one of the co-creators of Turtles. All right. Another great one. Tokyo These Days by Tayu Matsumoto. Okay, this one was recommended to me by Riddish Babu. Fantastic comics critic, wrote some great work for Comic Herald, is now doing their own thing on all sorts of places. Matsumoto is weirdly one of the manga artists I've read the most of um, because I read Tekken Kinkrete and I've read uh, Ping Pong within the last couple of years. And I think they're you know kind of an undisputed manga master. It is fascinating to me how different their works are that I've read. You know, Tekken Kinkrete is this like, like, I don't even know what you'd call it, really, but it's kind of this, like, punk action, like, street gangs book versus the business class. Ping Pong is exactly what it sounds like. It's a sports manga taken as seriously as possible <laughs> about competitive ping pong, and it's excellent. The artwork is just off the charts. I think in both Tekken Concrete and Ping Pong, despite the subject matter differences, one thing you see is Matsumoto has like, it's got like a slant on the world that kind of not many other mangakas have. Like there's just, everything's kind of tilted and bends in ways, you know, that don't quite feel like real life, but feel like this really consistent sort of creative vision of the world. Tokyo these days may go on to be my favorite of the bunch because it's, it's this thing that I cannot get enough of and it's comics about comics. This is Tokyo These Days is about a longtime manga editor finally walking away from manga. And they're like, they quit, but they still love it so much. And it resonates so much just as a fan of comics who is definitely back and forth in phases and varying degrees of like, you know, all these problems with it and these these reasons you don't like it, but then you love it so much you have to come back to it. It's just like... And, and obviously you can tell with Matsumoto, someone who's, you know, been a master at this for a decade, like there's just a knowledge of the industry. There's a knowledge of what people are like, what creators are like, what editors are like, what the business is like. I mean, you hear so much about, obviously I'm a newbie and a novice to manga, but like you hear so much about just like these insane hours that individual have to work. It seems backbreaking in a way that even, you know, American comics don't necessarily like just the, the amount that these, these mangakas have to work you know, they're totally taken advantage of in some instances. Um, it is excellent. It is excellent. I had no idea this was coming out. Again, Matsumoto is a name that I, I hold up right now as like 
you know, it's up there with, with Chainsaw Man's Fujimoto or, um, you know, some of the other masters, uh, or Urasawa for somebody who I just be like, oh, like, I know that name. I've actually read some of their stuff. I have to check this out. I'm super glad I did. It is slice of life. It is small in a lot of ways. Um, and it, it feels probably the pacing will feel very slow initially. Uh, but it is, it is, you know, cause it's very contemplative, but it, it builds. And again, if you like inside baseball behind the scenes stuff, and for me too, like, you know, having obviously not experienced a heck of a lot of manga, it is an industry that I do not know much about. So highly recommend Tokyo these days. Final pick for my favorite comics of January, 2024, which of course yeah, does not mean there are only four, it just means there are only four that I have in slideshow in utero. By Chris Gooch. This one is out from IDW's Top Shelf. I had not read any of Gooch's work to date. Um, I pulled this one because I w- when I was at the library picking up these other copies, I saw it had a pull. The cover looked interesting. And I saw it had a pull quote from Jeff Lemire on the back, which said something to the effect of, Chris Gooch might be my new favorite cartoonist. And that was enough for me to be like, yes, I will read this book. I'm super glad I did. This is a... a really well done tight graphic novel it is it had stars younger characters but i would not say it's for young readers it is tense it is suspenseful it reminds me of a you know it's it's the sci-fi book about you know a mysterious explosion goes off and then years later all these weird monster eggs are found in like an abandoned mall basically where a, a daycare is being run so you have these kids involved it reminded me of like arrival um, and just kind of that sci-fi sense of like, not, not huge action, you know, at least until the big ending, of course, but like, you know, it's, it's thoughtful, it's contemplative. It's, um, which is a word I've used twice now. I, I got away with it once naturally twice. Clearly I'm trying too hard. Uh, <laughs> but this one's great. This is a really good read. I like Gucci's art. I like his sense of pacing a lot. Really only uses like whites, blacks, reds, and blues. So the color palette is limited. Um, but the monster design, the sci-fi of it, everything builds. This is a very, very good graphic novel. Check out In Utero by Chris Gooch. Uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Okay, we did it. We did it. Those are the best graphic novels and comics of January 2024. I think that's going to do it for me. Get in your thoughts. Get in your comments. We can do a couple more questions. And then I got to go. Let's see, Avengers Twilight, we got a couple recommendation. We got not a classic, but good. We got, I was expecting more from the first issue, but good. I mean, it's definitely, I definitely has the expectations of like Zdarsky's life story where it's like, all right, if this isn't a classic all-time Marvel book, that's a disappointment, which is a very high, high bar to be looking for. Um, nobody says people only started hating the chiefs with how the NFL is doing the Taylor Swift thing. Listen, obviously everybody these days wants to have thoughts on Taylor Swift's involvement in the NFL. I have watched a lot of chiefs games this year. I have seen maybe one full minute (laughs) of Taylor Swift on the screen. I have missed no football because of these moments. Uh, I do not understand people's anger with this in any way, like at all. Also, you know what Taylor Swift has brought to this uh, this party? 
some really good pop songs over the last, <laughs> last decade. Why are we so mad? Why are we so mad? Oh, people are strange. People are strange. Maybe Taylor should cover that. Classic Doors hit. All right. Final question. Cousin Marcus says, best James Tynion work for you? <sighs> there was a time it would have been the Department of Truth. Um, I could go to my list and actually look. I, I might have the Department of Truth ranked most highly. I think of the stuff that is coming out right now, I'd probably go Department of Truth. Is that still coming out? Did that finish? I have no idea. Um, something is Killing the Children, then World Tree, and then everything else is kind of like, uh, I'll probably check it out later type book. I really like the Tiny and Inspire. I don't know what his involvement is, but it, I think Tate Bromble's writing it. But it was coming out from Tiny, or maybe it's a Tiny concept. Um, the Oddly Pedestrian Life, Christopher Chaos is really good. That might be my favorite of the bunch right now, but I don't think Tiny's actually writing that. Okay. There we go. There we go. Good job, everybody. We did it. We did it today. Way to go. Uh, I'm going to try to do this once a month with favorites. Oh, that was the other thing. Final thing I'm going to share. In February, you know what's coming? We've got some good stuff coming. Chainsaw Man, Volume 14. Looking forward to that. Big time. That's going to be on the list. Next volume of Amulet. Kazuki Ishii's Amulet. Been years. Set up for that. Something's Killing the Children, Volume 7. Maybe talking about that one. Conan the Barbarian, Volume 1, the Jim, Jim Zug one from Titan Comics. I haven't checked that out at all. I'm going to be checking that out. Way of the House Husband, Volume 11. Total Suplex of the Heart, a book I knew nothing about, but man, is that a great title. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Volume 8. Got to talk about that. And Peacemaker Tries Hard. Those are some collections I'm looking forward to. Those may be on the list. All right, I got to go. Cousin Mark is out here baiting me at the end of the day. Dave, talk about Moira. I already did. I said my piece, and I don't have another two hours to spare. Thank you all for listening, and enjoy the comics.